Second player press start. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Second Player Press Start. My name is James and I'm joined by my friend... Darren, on the couch. Sitting on the couch. And uh, today we are going to chat about the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit. Um, This is actually a free-to-play graphic adventure game uh, by Don't Nod Entertainment. Is that is that what we're calling it? Graphic adventure? Is that a That's what the Wikipedia page oh. that I'm reading from is saying. Interesting. I so that's I, that's a new genre, I guess, or a new genre title. Free to uh, graphic adventure video game. Yeah. As I mean we know graphic novel. Yeah. So I, I I can see that. Sure. Interesting. Um so yeah, made by Don't Nod who uh, made one of my favorite franchises, Life is Strange. Right, right. Um, and they made another one of those type of games, but um, but this time instead of following uh, teenage girls, um, we are following a young boy. Um, I guess this little chat will be completely um, spoiler-ridden. Um, sure. Because I guess there's no way to really talk about this game without talking about the story because that's the heart of it yeah. that's the art of the game um i guess up front if you've liked life is strange i it's free to download um i think it's available pc playstation 4 and xbox one i i saw it on steam so so yeah, yeah if you got a pc or a console that isn't made by nintendo you should be good to go. Sure. Um, we played for was that a, about almost three hours, right? Really, that long? Was it that long? Two and a half? Could have been something. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it's getting getting late now. <laughs> yeah, it's about ten thirty as we're recording this, and we started playing around eight. Around eight. So yeah, about two and a half hours. So. Um, yeah, I guess if you can invest that time, in my opinion, I would say that's worth it. Um, so I guess from this point on, if you haven't played the game, maybe play it and then come back to this. But, um, yeah, what was kind of your thoughts? Yeah, end spoiler warning. End spoiler warning now. Move on forward. Um... Well, from the beginning, it's interesting because I had only seen the one little title screenshot on Steam, and I knew nothing else about this. And James didn't want to spoil anything because I would eventually figure out that this game not only was created by the same people that made Life is Strange, but as we played, discovered more and more that it's set in the same world, it's set in the same fictional uh, setting, the same, almost the same place. Um, they reference Blackwell, they reference Arcadia Bay. Yeah, Yeah. some of the places from uh, Life is Strange. So that was a really interesting experience. I, to be fair though, before I even saw their, the developer's title, uh, I could tell just from the opening sequence. It had some 
kind of like indie guitar playing and it had uh, some of their signature like hand-drawn um, little loading screen things and some of the same very similar typeface probably the same typeface and some of the yeah uh, the menus and things like that so I knew pretty early on or I had a suspicion early on it was them but um, yeah I think right off the bat um, it was it kind of set you up for a similar experience and that's only because I've played Life is Strange to completion and that is one of the few games that I've played to completion in the last handful of years for sure so I think it started started me off right it was something that I was excited to see more of only because I didn't know anything else about it and I was curious yeah it, it definitely has that same feeling right from as the game booted like you were saying just that kind of indie guitar music and the way the fonts were handled kind of just like the i guess this game has a bit more of a, a sketch motif versus like photography right mm, sure um so the story kind of fall, follows this young boy did you catch his name chris chris yeah um it follows chris who uh I think was a lot like any of us as a kid um at least i can speak for myself but sure um if you were a kid that had a wild imagination and loved to draw superheroes which i definitely did as a yeah, kid same um this yeah the game kind of opens up with him in his bedroom um Playing with some toys. Yeah, making, making fiction, right? Make-believe. Yeah, uh, creating his own kind of alter ego superhero character, uh, which you get to kind of design um, right. at the beginning. The, uh, the titular Captain Spirit, if you will. Yes. Um, so yeah, you get a few little options to choose, um, you know, what kind of outfit you want to wear. Um, if you want to wear a mask or a helmet, I think was another option. Yeah, it was it was an interesting intro to start with this binary character creation, right? Because we've seen character creation in RPGs and stuff like that many times before. That's nothing new. Um, and I, you know, some character creation follows from the the question first, right? Like, do you want this? Are you interested in this? And then you answer questions, and it gives you. A character at the end of this questionnaire kind of thing yeah. but this is the first time where I saw a series of binary questions to just create a superhero while while you watched Chris draw the superhero and every time he asked the question there was the feeling that yes he's breaking the fourth wall he's asking us the audience but at the same time he's what 11 years old and he's just kind of talking to himself about lots of stuff so whereas in life is strange a lot of it we could kind of gather that maybe it was uh, Max's inner dialogue right. in this it was very much he's 11 year old kid and he's talking about everything which seems normal so that was that was kind of an interesting intro um, speaking specifically towards the superhero and his his inner life right his inner sure. storytelling and fiction creation that was interesting and yeah you get you get the sense right away that this kid um, has a great sense of imagination he's very uh very youthful and playful um 
And then you kind of explore his room and just get a sense of who he is as a kid. Um, and then you start hearing your dad kind of call for you to come eat breakfast. Right. Um, which was kind of a, a weird moment because I felt like I wanted to explore hmm. the whole of the room. But I kept getting these prompts of like, you know, breakfast is ready. And then you kind of have two options of kind of responding um, as someone with kids. I know the struggle of trying to get your kids' attention sure. to come eat dinner. Um, so right away it kind of set... It kind of put me in this kid's shoes of like, well, I don't want to upset my dad, so I better like go see him because obviously right. he's calling me. Um, right. And I thought that was like a really subtle like way of putting you in a child's shoes. Hmm. Um, like, yeah, you are this kid and you are playing in your room, but you know, when dad calls, you got to go see what's up. Right. And you could tell too, because you probably, I think you went through two of his voice prompts, but you could tell that the, the dad's voice, Charles, he was getting angrier. He was getting a little more, you know, firm. aggressive, firm, sure. Yeah. Uh, just in calling you to come eat breakfast. And even if, you know, I might be the kind of player that would push that limit and be like, screw you, dad. I'm going to, I'm going to play with my toys or I'm going to read my comics. Um, I didn't at all like push back against you making that decision because it felt natural under the context. And even still, when we did leave the room, kind of under your breath, Chris is like, yeah, sure, dad, whatever kind of thing. Um, which again, felt true to character and yeah. true to context. So, um, so yeah, as you kind of exit your room, uh, and you're introduced to the father character, um, it's almost like you kind of leave your bubble of kind of safety and fun and um, you start kind of unraveling um, who you are and who your dad is and kind of the context of uh, the house that they're in and the life that they're living right now and uh, it, it did a fantastic job of all these little um, touch points of uh, interaction between the son and the dad and just looking around the house, you really get a sense of what's going on hmm. um, in this kid's life. Sure. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things important about graphic narrative games is that in your opening scenes, because this, this game really didn't even have an intro per se. We have like um, a wide shot of the house as we pan in and it's in the snow and then we go into the room and he's playing like and drawing and whatnot, right? So we don't have this, this kind of intro scene or cut scene or anything to give us any context other than outside the house. It's just like lots of snow out and he's playing in his room. Um, which means there's a lot of weight. There's there's a lot of significance played on this character. And if this character is actually going to carry you through to the next scene, are the things that he's saying and doing and the way that we're experiencing it as an audience member, 
are they interesting enough to propel us to the next step, to look through his room and see all this stuff, to take that next step and go to breakfast and interact with dad and then go on from there. Because there wasn't, other than that point you made about dad calling for breakfast, there wasn't a lot of external pressure throughout the rest of the game or up to that point to do anything. Um, it's very much built as a almost one of those point and click adventure games, right? Where there's not a huge amount developed in the character explicitly. It's all through the interactions and through the things you find and how he talks through his comics or he talks through his toys or he uh, as he plays with action figures and you know pits one against the other. So whereas again an easy comparison to Life is Strange but there's a moment in Life is Strange and maybe we just never saw that because of the scope of this free-to-play thing but where the fiction affects Max right where they're in the in that bath in the bathroom do you remember and you have to make significant choices at that point um, at risk possibly to yourself um, and that kind of jump starts the story but in this there wasn't really that you're just going through this life as this 11 year old who's interested in making a superhero costume and um, drawing and you know exploring his out his outside treehouse and things like that so yeah. how, how did you find that like it sounds to me like because of your own childhood experience you bought into it pretty quickly yeah and that was something that you were not only excited about and curious about but you were just like yeah i'm totally sold on this already i don't need external pressure i don't need any of this to just take that next step to invest myself in this story or in this world yeah, I think, um, like I said, the, the initial room just felt very, like, whimsical and, like, carefree and almost, like, safe. Sure. Um, and then as you leave the room and you're introduced to the dad, um, you start to kind of see, um, kind of your dad's character, um, I think as he's serving you breakfast, um, he wanders to the counter and picks up a beer, right? Sure. And initially that's like, okay, whatever. Like he's just having a drink. Um, but then there's more like subtle kind of clues that get kind of more obvious as time or as you kind of progress in the game. Right. Um, where it starts to paint a picture of, you know, the dad is obviously struggling with alcohol mm -hmm. um, to the point where um, even in that initial scene, there was, um, he had like a red mark on his arm. Right. And the subtle way of just talking, like the dad kind of emits in a way that he was responsible but then kind of sidesteps sure because he kind of asks did people ask about it at school and i really liked the way the game like it was very subtle in some respects um 
And it kind of created this, like, this man potentially can be very dangerous. Sure. Um, but there's also this side to him that obviously is still a dad. Right. And he still cares for his son. Because um, there were a few in- interactions where they were talking about Christmas coming up. And mm-hmm. um, you kind of see his heart. And... Uh, he then kind of uh, retreats to the living room where um, he's very much into sports. Um, we kind of learn throughout discovering the house that he's uh, kind of a failed athlete himself. Mm. Um, so he's kind of living through, I guess, other people watching them on TV right? Um, from his own dreams. And... There was a part in the beginning where you, um, once you're done eating breakfast, you clean up your dishes. And uh, as you're washing one of the cups, it breaks in the sink. And then you hear your dad snap for the first time. Hmm. And from that initial point, I almost felt scared going around the house and thinking of, well, if I make this decision, how is my dad going to react? Right, right. Um, Just because of that initial conversation of seeing that you have been abused by this guy. Sure. Um, But then there's this kind side to him, so it's kind of this uh, kind of two-faced kind of guy that, you know, obviously being controlled by alcohol, which um, I know touches a lot of people's lives. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was just a really um, it really made playing the game I almost felt a little on edge as mm-hmm. I'm kind of navigating, even going into his room and kind of going through some of his stuff. Interesting, sure. Um, there was an option to take a cigarette, uh, which I think I opted not to do until the very end. Yeah, and that was I was going to bring that up. That was interesting to me how, you know, you were digging through the his dad's stuff, your dad's stuff, whatever. You're going into his closet and you had to use a key to unlock the wardrobe to get in in the first place. But when it came to the cigarette, you're like, hmm... Hmm, I'm not sure if I should do this. And I just thought that was an interesting stopping point for you, just watching you as a player. Um, Yeah, I mean, in these games, I try and put myself in the character's shoes. And I also try and think ahead of, like, if there's a moment in this game where perhaps I'm caught with this cigarette, um, how am I going to get out of it? versus if I didn't have the cigarette. Um, There was even a point where you grab his car keys to to get something from the car. And uh, I even thought about, well, should I keep the keys in case if he wakes up and he needs to go drive somewhere? Um, If I have the keys on my person, will that affect some outcome right right. if if he's drunk if he's drunk or if he's had too much to drink and 
he wants to drive and now he can't find his keys is that yeah. a, is that a better circumstance sure so yeah i kind of have all these things running in the back of my mind um and the game kind of sets you up of this like paranoia of like will these decisions truly matter in right in the right. end right and i i would assume part of that comes from Life is strange and sure. how your decisions affect you long term. Yeah. Some decisions even that you make earlier in the game affect you quite late in the game. Yeah. And just going, just rewinding a bit, but it was interesting to me looking at domestic abuse because we find out later as well that part of the reason Charles, the dad, is struggling is out of grief, right? Not only when you look back in his history, he was a basketball star who was going to be drafted in the NBA. And we don't really know exactly the timeline, but at some point along the line, you know, they have a kid and um, his wife stops working uh, as an artist. So she's left her dream behind for the kid as well. And then she gets in a hit and run. She gets killed by some who knows who. And there's, there's a little bit of seeded for this mystery of maybe we might find out who this person is that did the hit and run. But he's in this situation because he lost his wife. And we don't even really know. I think it was probably, if I remember correctly, like 2014, maybe, that the wife died. And we're playing this in the present day in 2018 because I think uh, Chris is 11 years old. And through looking at stuff in the game, he was born in 2007. So that's kind of the the context that we're working with right so it's been a few years and this is probably escalated right i don't think he starts having a problem with alcohol on day one but going back to the challenge with domestic abuse is it's this whether whether it's a wife or a spouse or whatever or a kid it's like i love this person and this is the way like the way that i remember this person being is the way I want this person to be, and I'm willing to overlook these difficulties. The, the only problem is, is that those difficulties continue to escalate until this kid has bruises on his arm, right? Or until this dad snaps at him and, you know, hits him or pushes him or whatever happens to be. And at the, at the same time, you're like, but I know why you still love your dad, because that's your dad, yeah. right? And he wasn't always like this, or I know why you still love your husband, or I know why, you, you know what I mean? For sure. So I think that's um, that's a really interesting, to be able to push on those, those buttons implicitly in the game without ever saying your dad's a drunk or without writing something on the screen or whatever. I think the closest we get to explicit is the neighbor coming over, right? Yeah. And even in that context, because of the way we answer the questions, it just so happened that we went back at the end of the game and played through a bit more because of Hot Dog Man. But if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't necessarily see the different outcomes of that conversation with the neighbor that came over. And we see even further that she's trying to be, be a helper on behalf of the, the child who she knows is unsafe living in that house. But when we answered the first time, it didn't go so far as her saying, you know, I'm going to do something about it. She was just saying, you know, if you're ever scared, we're right next door. But 
when we answered a little bit differently, she's like, I'm essentially, she's saying, I'm going to do something about her. I'm going to tell my husband or what have you. Yeah. Um, we'll be over and we'll be over soon. Yeah. Right. So I thought that was a really interesting way to look at those circumstances because throughout the game, she's the only real person other than the dad that you interact with. So to have that response from a seemingly friendly older woman that lives next door or your neighbor or whatever down the street, um, who only ended up at your door because she heard what she called sounded like the 4th of July, which, you know, it could have even been the firecrackers, right? I think that's, I think that's what it was. So that, or, you know, whatever she heard in the house. Right. And that was just a, a reference point to be like, it sounded like a lot of commotion or a lot of, you know, people shouting or whatever. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting to take that very implicitly. And like you said, from the very beginning, you're using the things in the world and the context to paint a much more vivid picture instead of simply telling the audience, now here's Charles and his dad is abusive and his dad is having alcohol issues or problems with alcoholism. So. Yeah, I found um, like this game was a lot more dense in terms of, I mean, the like quote-unquote play area or like the space you get to explore um, is it's pretty small Hmm. um, but it's just peppered with like a lot of stuff sure sure Um, and yeah I think if uh, like if you don't enjoy kind of exploring every nook and cranny I don't think you'll get much right of this game Um, Typically, I'm not usually into games where I'm kind of exploring every nook and cranny, but just because I'm so invested in mm. Life is Strange, um, it was really neat kind of going through everything and even finding some references yeah. um, to that uh, first first game um, was really cool. Now, speaking of exploring, I noticed on more than one occasion, on more than five occasions that being able to position yourself to interact with the thing was way more difficult than it should have been and in fact the little pop-up didn't actually pop up in front it popped up behind your player character i yeah i really struggled with um again because like things were very dense and you often had items like sitting right beside each other Mm -hmm. um it was very sensitive in like when you were trying to target an object to either look at it or interact with it. Right. Um, and then you would try and nudge over a little bit to view the object beside it. Sure. You had to position it just right. Um, and there was, yeah, like you said, a handful of times where I was kind of moving the stick around frantically trying to, to get it to align, which right. I don't think has ever really been a problem in uh, previous games like this. Yeah, that did surprise me because coming from Life is Strange, my first thought was, haven't we solved this problem already? Because I don't remember it being very janky in Life is Strange. So to see, and and it's not like this is the first time James has ever used a control stick before. So I'm watching you play and there's no external pressure. You're not trying to do something super fast, right? And yet 
trying to position yourself, I was reminded of State of Decay and some of those problems we had in that game. Yeah. And that just really took me off guard because I didn't expect to see that be an issue in this kind of a game. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could chalk it up to was the world was, or the, the not the world, but the scene was very dense. Um, and a lot of those issues came from when things were really close to each other and trying to select. But yeah, they, they should have kind of figured that out by now. I mean, even the fact that, like I mentioned, the the pop-ups to interact were showing behind the player character's avatar. So Chris, you could see his body on the screen, but the pop-up menus to interact would be behind him from your viewpoint, which means you couldn't even see what the buttons, because it would pop up and it would say, you know, press X to do this, press A to do this, press B to do this or whatever. But you couldn't see what some of those interacting points were because they were covered by your player character. And that was, even then I was like, okay, if you're having problems focusing on the right thing because there's three close together, sure. But the fact that it's also displaying your interaction menu where you couldn't see it no matter how, whether you had the right one or not, was just, that's weird. Yeah. And yeah, that's the first time that's kind of happened to me in these games. Like, it's, sure. it is bizarre. Yeah. Even blocking it to the point where sometimes we miss stuff because yeah. our view was blocked enough that we couldn't see that box that was kind of tucked in the corner. Right, right. Um, and there were a few instances where uh, Chris's kind of alter ego superhero character mm -hmm. would interact with an object. Um, like, for instance, there was once the uh, mac and cheese was done cooking in the microwave. Right. Um, he would pretend to kind of zap the food using his magic powers. Um, one thing I will comment, the rumble. Um, I'm not too sure if it was something up with my controller. Mm, right, um, right. That was like the strongest like haptic feedback. Yeah, like I was, I was sitting over on the other side of the couch and was like what is going on because he was like chris was using his powers at the time so i thought maybe that was they're trying to like show this force in some capacity but then it was just weird at some point yeah like my controllers never rumbled that hard right um so i don't know if they're boosting something there or i don't know yeah kind of a side note but speaking of the superpowers though there's moments throughout the game where you could interact with a thing normally but also interact with it as this super this superhero character where he would hold his hand up in this kind of telekinesis type motion and try to move it with his mind like power of the force or something what i found really interesting was there was a number of times where as the audience were like wait a second does he really have powers because we're seeing something move without anything touching it but you find out in other circumstances that from a different angle or something, like he was trying to turn the TV on, right? With yeah. his power. And then you don't really see it until after everything's done and he puts the contr a controller down or whatever. So he has the TV controller, but because of the angles, we don't see it when the TV comes on. And there's a number of moments like that throughout the whole episode, whatever, throughout the whole gameplay experience. Yeah where he does these superpower type things that 
from the perspective of us watching, we are led to believe that maybe this is a thing, that maybe he does have these powers and he's not really, like he thinks that it's a normal thing maybe. Um, and then of course the reveal at the end, right? right? Which for me, I mean, we've already addressed spoiler alerts, but he's falling out of his treehouse and he stops himself before he hits the ground. And I'm wondering, even at that moment, because we've established this kid with this highly fictionalized, fictionalized world, right? And I would totally guarantee that when you slap on the fact that his mother died, who he had a really deep relationship with, a really close relationship with, who he misses dearly, who he keeps so many of uh, photos and keepsakes and all these things hidden around the yard and the house and everything to remember her. And then he's got a dad that's pushing like further and further in terms of aggression and abuse because of alcoholism. I wonder if maybe he doesn't have powers. Maybe this is part of his internal, do you know what I mean? Right. Because we know in, in Life is Strange that Max was able to mess with time. So it's not out of the scope for this game to be like, yeah, this kid has some weird telekinesis thing going on, right? And that's his thing. That's the that's the shtick, right, in this game. But maybe he does follow the tree, and maybe he hurts himself, and maybe he's just like wishing that he had these powers because that makes him special. And maybe he can help his dad, or maybe he can bring his mom back, or whatever that looks like. I think both of those would be just as interesting to me is a story to explore having this 11 year old kid wanting this so bad that in his mind that's what happens this is what it looks like right. and even that that idea to me is fascinating so you know no matter which way they go with that i'm still i'm still curious but i just thought that was a really interesting way to look at that having up to that point all of these things are explained by the environment like the tv remote or the fact that you know you know you didn't see his other hand close the door or things like that right you know i didn't even really catch on to that hmm. um i think because maybe as playing it um the story just felt so grounded um i felt like even in there was some moments where the whole world kind of actually transforms and you yes. actually see that's right inside his head of um i think there was one scene where he was on like this alien planet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he was kind of walking as almost looked like mars or somewhere like that and he's kind of walking through slowly and he's hearing these voices of this fictional villain that he's created right um but even in those moments like I'm kind of seeing it through, you know, some kid's imagination. Sure, sure. Um, but I didn't even clue on to kind of the reveal of, like, does he have actual superhero powers mm -hmm. or not? Um, which, yeah, it does make sense because in, like you said, in Life is Strange, Max has the ability to rewind time. Right. Um... But interestingly enough, if you look at the parallels of that first Life is Strange and this game, um, it's actually Max's friend Chloe, whose father is killed, right? Right. right. Whereas uh, we're now looking at Chris, like Chris is the the direct person that's the protagonist. That's um, 
their family member has been killed, whereas right, right. Max is a friend of Chloe, whose dad's got killed. So, right, right. Um, there are some parallels there, but um, it's the friend of the person mm-hmm, who's mm-hmm. had the hardship, not the person that's suffering sure. it themselves. Sure. Um, yeah, what else to really say about it? Um, I think just going back to that moving between um, moving between the fiction, right? Like you said, there's moments where we are absolutely taken out of the house or out of the yard and we're in this totally unreal space, right? Uh, it even happened when he goes into, he's talking about the water eater, which is actually the water heater, right? Because there's no hot water in the sink or it's not working properly or whatever. So he goes into like, you know, the back storage room or whatever, and it's dark and he hates going in there. But when he goes in there, it's this totally different world again. And he has to fight the water eater, right? And that's why to me, when I saw some of those elements, because it was very clear on the screen that he's not in his house anymore because we're seeing things like those creatures are not in his storage room, right? Right. Or or there's no there's none of these weird purple gems and red light planet in his backyard. It's just that we, we can tell based on the way the story is presented that he's doing this in his imagination. Yeah. But at the same time when I saw that thing at the end with him pausing as he's falling from the tree, um that's where that overlap for me was like now now what right although just had a light bulb go off in my head (laughs) you know how i was just talking about like max was the person that saved chloe sure as he's falling from the tree and stops right after that um it looks like a new neighbor appears that's true that's true yeah so and maybe it's actually the other kids that saw be the him neighbor. fall and um maybe that kid has the power right similar to max being the best friend right? yeah and they're 11 year old just like you know max and chloe met when they were younger too right? exactly yeah. so there could be that connection there too that's interesting yeah light bulb just went off because um I was trying to piece together like the the friend element and then you see this kid which there was no one in that yard when you were out playing uh, in the treehouse before. Right. Um, Yeah. Sure, sure. Uh, Speaking of the treehouse, there was a moment in the treehouse as well as I'm trying to remember where the other one was. I think it was on his bed maybe? Or no, it was on his parents' bed. There's two moments where you are allowed to, the only interacting point in the treehouse was to sit and you'd sit it on, on the ledge of the treehouse or lay on the parents' bed. And then similar to the moments in Life is Strange, it would just be this moment of a break, like a pause, right? A pause in the fiction. And we're not interacting with anything anymore. We, the music swells in the background and it comes to the forefront and we're left with shots of the protagonist on the bed in the treehouse, right? And surveying the, the world around them. And it just these moments of 
thinking, right? Yeah. Where, where the character is left with their thoughts. Now, in Life is Strange, what was significant to me about those moments is often they came after really heavy character sequences, right? Right. Where it's, you dealt with something very heavy for yourself as Max or somebody else with the, like um, her friend that tried to commit suicide or committed suicide, depending on your playthrough. Uh, issues with Chloe and um, her, her challenges, things like that. And you then have these moments to sit and just kind of take that all in, right? Whether whether there's a deer in the background and you're in the in the uh, uh, that scrapyard, right? Right. But what I found really significant and poignant about those moments is, is that they were always in contrast to the heavy emotional stuff. And now we have a time to just reflect on that, even as a player experiencing the game, right? So not only is Max the character sitting in these spots and resting and thinking through and reflecting on everything that's happened, but so are we as players. And what I found interesting about this is that it didn't always seem to align in that contrast, if that makes sense. Yeah. That laying on the bed, the time in the parents' room, in my opinion, wasn't some of the heaviest stuff that this episode or this game experience dealt with. And although I would I mean, he's listening to a record that, you know, was pretty dear to his mom, right? Sure. Like, I could see, again, if I put myself in that character's situation, or shoes. Yeah. Um, like, I could see myself, like, you know, once you play that, just sit there for a little bit and just sure. kind of listen and maybe, you know, re reminisce kind of on your, your mom. Yeah, I can agree with that for um, sure. The treehouse, yeah, I guess there wasn't really that kind of moment other than just kind of looking out. Um, yeah, he's. it was called, he called it his fortress or fortress tower, tower fortress or something like that. I don't yeah. remember. But he had a name for the treehouse too to go with his superhero fiction. Um, for me, one of the heaviest moments was when he went through the maze. And, For sure, yeah. and found his mom's stuff that he hid in the yard. And a part of it for me is because they had Sufjan Stevens playing and that was the, the music they had swelling up in the background. And that was music, I believe it was the same song that they carried throughout yeah, the I, rest of it. Yeah, I think it was just the same song. Um, but I guarantee too, unless, unless it's possible that Sufjan like, worked with these guys and wrote the song relative to the to the game, possibly, because there's a lot of overlapping narrative in the song that was mirroring some of the stuff in the game, or they just found that song and those lyrics were already there. And I wouldn't doubt that either because a lot of Sufjan's lyrics are very narrative in, uh, they tell stories, right? right? So either way though, I found it really, um, it was a really heavy, poignant, like somber moment. And like I mentioned to you as well that Sufjan stuff always hits me in the feels anyway, so I'm already I already have that layer of um, Like weight to it when I hear his stuff already, but I just thought that was a really significant moment in this kid's life and that to me having Maybe making a snow angel after that as your mode of reflection to me I would have seen that direct contrast mm. like I saw in life is strange. Right? Yeah 
Um, but that was just something that stood out to me because that mechanism, if you want to call it that, the sitting and reflecting moments is carried over from Life is Strange, but I saw it a little bit differently here than I did there. Right. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on like the, any of the technical stuff? Like, we both played Life is Strange. Things seem pretty similar in terms of, you know, the graphic presentation. We talked about the, uh, the gamma screen at the beginning actually having some, you know, <laughs> relative values there. Yeah. But was there anything else other than that, um, the pop-up menu interaction that was challenging? Was there anything else that you mentioned the sound in particular that you were impressed with? Yeah, there was... Um... Like the moment where um, you can choose to kind of look out from your treehouse, um, the music starts to play, and uh, you get to choose like when you want to stop that moment of just kind of, you know, staring out into the, the yes. wilderness. Yeah. And uh, I kind of picked a point in the song where, you know, there was some vocals happening and the song was going on and it just did a really good job of um, like fading out the music and then kind of the ambient noise of him you know moving in the treehouse and the wood kind of creaking right um, it was like a, a movie where you mm. know someone's professionally kind of mixed mixed out the sound so it sure. sounds kind of natural but for it to be me just randomly pressing the button and for the the music to kind of dip out and these sound effects hmm. like the real world's coming back right um yeah really well done yeah it was effective for sure for sure um yeah the voice acting i thought was yeah there were i didn't see any like flaws um that moment where you do discover your mom's stuff throughout the maze um just yeah the he starts to cry, and you can kind of see that emotion in his face, mm -hmm. and, um, even in his voice. Um, I would say they've, um, like, they've definitely upped kind of the more technical side, but it still feels hmm. very much in that kind of same feeling right. and same art style. But sure. um, to me, it seems a little more refined. Okay beyond kind of those like few little um kind of tracking issues of selecting things right right which um hopefully won't be an issue because that's a large part of the game sure yeah right i think um i i asked specifically because that's something especially from the graphic side and those things that you might pick up on more than i would um whether it's because of the, the various different games you play specifically on console that I just don't. Um, you played Life is Strange on which system? I've uh, I've played it all on Xbox, actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And this was Xbox as yeah, well. Yeah, this right? was Xbox yeah. again. So, the um, the only thing I would mention, I thought the voice acting and stuff was pretty good overall. I felt like there was some there was some delivery of some lines that felt a little. Yeah, you know, I could I could go either way, like, um, where I was like, could we have done another take on that? You know what I mean? Right. That kind of thing. But I think overall, um, I was pretty impressed. And to to round that out, there was some lines that were delivered very well. Yeah. And there was some moments and things that were captured 
very well. Um, the other thing technically that I, I just appreciated seeing it, but early we were going through the options menu right when we started up and having that mash accessibility option, I thought was, to me was really, I appreciated seeing that because there's a lot of times in narrative games where for the most part, you're doing very little on the control. You're not generally, there's never a moment where you have to like do something very quickly or whatever, which means that these types of games can generally be very accessible to people. Um, depending on whatever controller you're using to interact with it, you don't need to do a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. But there's always those moments come up where, oh, I got to tap this really fast. And if I don't, like something bad's going to happen. And that doesn't work for everybody. So to even have that option in there that, look, we know that that doesn't work for everybody. So let's just make an option that can make it make that movement different or turn it off entirely. And that was something good to see because it's not very often that games think about accessibility for people with disabilities or people that uh, maybe it wouldn't even be classed, say, as a disability, but it's still a challenge for somebody. Yeah. And they don't get to experience the game in the way that people without that challenge would. So I just, I really appreciated seeing that up front and center. And we're just going to throw this extra little option in there. And it reminded me specifically, because we're playing on Xbox, but the idea of mapping multiple controllers to different to different game controls. Yeah. And so how you can, whether that's play co-op games of, you know, one character, but two people playing it on two different controllers, that kind of thing. Or again, featuring accessibility benefits in using multiple controllers to do different things at different times. Yeah. And that that was really it was something that stuck out to me right from the get-go. Yeah. So yeah, and I think kind of lowering the the barrier of entry is a good thing for these type of games because the strength in these games aren't typically like based on reflexes. It's, exactly. it's the story and the characters and um, the gameplay is the decisions you kind of make in these games. Um, there wasn't necessarily a ton of decisions or like consequences for your outcomes, which I was a little sad to, to not see. Well, we, we had the, initially we had the binary superhero costume, which was not a big deal. Um, and then you had how you respond to your dad when he calls you for breakfast. And then I think the only other one. Obviously, there's the order of what you choose to look at, but that's not a decision per se. But then lastly, there's the conversation with Claire, I think was the neighbors yeah. at the end. And that, as we saw after the second kind of a little bit of a play, that there was some differences that go on there. But again, not significant because the dad still interacts with, the, with Chris the same way, regardless of how he talked with Claire. Yeah, because one thing that I really like... Um, even Detroit did it as well as Life is Strange is uh, kind of almost letting you know like you've just made a decision and this decision will have consequences. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, oh snap, like, you know, this decision meant something. Yeah. Um, but we didn't really get any of those kind of moments. But I guess... That's a good point, yeah. I guess this is probably just kind of a an initial kind of world building kind of thing. Sure. 
Um, yeah, it, it's interesting you mention that because in, De in both Detroit and Life is Strange, they're very explicit moments. Um, Detroit says it straight up, like, you've just made this thing happen and that's going to affect this other thing. And in Life is Strange, we learn that through the butterfly symbol, right? Um, yeah, that's a really good point because this game didn't have that at all. It had no explicit anything about anything that we chose. Um, you know, maybe if we put a mask on our superhero instead of a helmet, who knows what could happen, right? Right. But it never explicitly says anything like that. So maybe my theory of the neighbor kid is actually the main character might come true. It's possible. Maybe that's your. Uh, it your... could. Yeah, it could be that this is the, our our intro or our pre-story, right? Our, yeah. Just to get us introduced and get us right salivating for Life is Strange two coming out. Yeah. And we now we realize, oh, you know, this story with Chris is interesting, and we're going to interact with it, but not in the way that we thought we would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have any other thoughts, or is that kind of... I do not. So yeah, I, um, I'm excited for Life is Strange 2, but that's not really <laughs> saying much. Um, I mean, I think we've mentioned that game more than anything in our podcast so far. We've kind of referenced that game a sure, lot. Sure, sure. And partly because it is a, it was a narrative game, and we've played enough narrative games so far that it's a good reference point to talk about cinematics and to talk about character building and narrative arcs. Yeah. there's just It's a good reference point for a lot of these things that we've played so far. Yeah, and I like when these games are done right, I thoroughly enjoy them. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Life is Strange 2. Uh, do you think that'll be something we'll play together, or you... You know, that's a good question. Um, e even this game, like I said, I didn't know anything about it before starting. Yeah. Um, I don't know anything about what Life is Strange 2 is going to be. I don't think anyone does at the moment, yeah. So, but you're right, though. The idea of playing a game that is so narrative-heavy that if it's anything like Life is Strange 1 what you do matters and the choices you make matter um i'm not sure if i you know it's not that i don't want to share the experience with you because but you want your own experience yeah, yeah yeah we shared the experience we, yeah. we talked at length in fact it was life is strange one that we talked about where we're like we should just record this because this is an interesting conversation yeah so it's not that i'm not interested in sharing it with you it's more of like you said that play experience is something that is a personal play experience for sure so yeah and maybe we'll maybe we'll thought. maybe we'll figure something out where if we both get a hold of the game we can kind of do a a check-in or something i don't know right. oh the last thing i should mention then you saw the price at 50 dollars for the game yes tell me about that um i guess yeah the uh the first life is strange I actually picked up, I think, during a Christmas sale when I first got my Xbox. Um, so I think it was like $8 for like the full season, which wow. is just ridiculous. And I think, didn't I gift you? Uh, yeah, the only reason I had played the first episode. Which was because free, Because it was right? free. Yeah. And you gifted me the full... 
five episodes or whatever. I think it was a Steam sale or yeah, something again, like that. Yeah, again, I think it was like ridiculously cheap. Right. Um, and that was just because I was so desperate to talk to someone else about this game. <laughs> sure. But, um, I knew you would really get a kick out of it, so... Um, so yeah, I, you know, that was really cheap, and then I also played Before the Storm, which was like a three-part, um, thingamajig, which, um, I bought the bonus deluxe digital edition, which gave mm. you another, um, little episode on top. Um, so that was four episodes, but that was $29. Okay. Um... But yeah, once we finished uh, this game, we were brought to a pre-order screen for Life is Strange 2 and $49, which um, seems a little high hmm. based on those previous games. Um, but I will pay that much money because... Uh, <laughs> yeah, because even historically, those games have gone on sale very quickly, even after they've come out. Hmm. Um, but I think they know that they have such a hardcore fan base that sure. will probably pay anything to, to play those games. So, right. Um, yeah, a little unexpected, but I will pay that money. <laughs> <laughs> Take my money. Take my money. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess that'll conclude today's episode. Um, it's very late. Um, we typically only play games for maybe like an hour and a half. True. Um, we did play this one longer. I guess that goes to say something about this game that we kind of finished it to the end. Um, so yeah, I, it gets my recommendation. It's free. Um, if you like these kind of games, I think it's a worthwhile one to play. So with that said, um, I guess we'll wrap it up for this episode of Second Player Press Start. Um, I guess one thing I never mention at the end of these episodes is um, you can go to our kind of temporary website, um, secondplayerpressstart.com. And that's second with a two, number two, and so, ND. Yeah, two ND. Yeah, you know the rest. And uh, there's links there to subscribe to the podcast um, if you like listening to things by audio. Um, and then we also have a YouTube channel set up, um, which is basically this plus a little video underneath um, if you're into that. Um, so yeah, until next time, say goodnight, Darren. Goodnight, Darren. I mean, James. <laughs>